I just could be in first place. And it was like, well, it's a, and it was the first time that I thought, okay, well, if Josh wins it on our bike and then how cool could that be? And like, we, you know, it could be just like a really cool thing for us. And we could say, Hello, everybody, and welcome to Brumbagoon. You will not get there on a road bike. Without further saying, I think you understood who is going to be in this podcast for the first episode of season number seven of the Broom Wagon podcast, or as we like to say, the Broom Wagon podcast. If you didn't understand yet, or you haven't understand yet, well, you have still some time because I need to go through a couple of things. So I was saying season number seven, I'm super sorry. I didn't prepare any trailer for this season because I don't think it's needed anymore. You know how it works, right? Cool people, cool stories, listen to passion projects or just passionate people talking about their love for cycling or just people talking about cool things with cycling in the middle. Yes, cycling is gonna always be there, of course, but let's see what is gonna come. For me, the most important thing is talking with nice people, talking about nice stories. Well, this year, I can tell you, this season is gonna be even more uneven than the other ones. Easy to say that. I have my hands kind of full. I mean, as you like and as you know, my life is always be rounding around with a lot of things to do. And well, now I had to say that apart from saying that I have a 9 to 5, that is 100%, I have also a side project that is actually Zier, the alcohol-free beer project, plus, of course, the main occupation that is this podcast. Three different jobs, all of them with a lot of passion, but still... I need to battle around the time that I have left. As you know, I usually record and edit this podcast during, let's say, between one thing and the other. And in this case would be nights. Now, well, my nights became just shorter and probably you're hearing. Why? Because the little sounds that you can hear uh, during this recording are coming from my second kid and... Uh, was born just a few days ago and actually I need also to give a bit more of time to these two little ones that are uh, fooling and filling my life with a lot of love and also a lot of things uh, to do. So for this reason I would say that this year I'm gonna try to take it as it comes. I have a lot of things piled up and a lot of things um, yeah, planned for the year but of course I need to just check and live my life day by day. So I hope you will understand. I hope that I can do, a, let's say, a solid amount of podcasts, but I don't want to stop this podcast at all. First of all, because it's probably the most important thing that I have in my life, together with my family, of course, but actually because it's, it's really funneling all my uh, passion for bikes. So this is not, the broom wagon is not going to go anywhere. And also because this makes me really explore the fields and the tracks and the trails that I cannot do without it. So bear with me, uh, it's gonna pile up everything super good. And well, today I think that we are recording the episode number 246. We still have a long way and these 246, they're not gonna even be 10% of what is gonna be the full production of the Broomwagon podcast now and in the future. 
If you want to follow these old journeys, actually not only we through my voice, you know that you can go on Instagram, CalamaroCC or the Broom Wagon Podcast. Down below, uh, the um, buy me a coffee, I think it's called, the coffee, that's it. It's called coffee. Uh, the coffee link, if you want to buy me a coffee. And whatever idea, whatever you have in mind, you can actually DM me directly on Instagram or easily hello at calamaro.cc because this is my email address. Move forward to the episode of today. Well, I have been talking with the protagonist of the podcast of today for quite some time. Uh, we have a lot of friends in common and actually uh, the main one there is Josh, Josh but by the way, best of luck, Josh. I think that in the moment that I am recording, you are going to be really closer to your Atlas Monte race coming quite soon. And yeah, we have people in common at a certain point we said why don't we just explore all the concept of mason cycles mason progressive cycling it's the way to call it and let's talk about manufacturing but also the concept the project everything related to that we planned this episode already the year so 2023 but then we recorded in 2024 and now it's going live dom i would give you directly the microphone and people we're gonna talk at the end enjoy first episode of the season quite happy because we're starting with a bank and today we are talking with dom mason aka the person behind mason cycles right that's the name of the company i should have been more prepared yeah. right yeah well no that's pretty that's pretty good i mean actually the official name and if you look on the on the detail on the back of the seat tube it's mason progressive cycles oh okay yeah but we, we always say Mason or Mason Cycles, but actually the full name is, I, I wanted when we first started to put progressive in there because the whole, um, my whole thinking was that everything we do has to be a progression mm -hmm. uh, and um, progressive was going to be the thing that kind of dragged us along because I've never really liked the... I don't know, at, at, at the time, so it's 2014, at the time there's a lot of kind of uh, steel bikes, retro type of lugged steel bikes. <clears throat> and there was, um, there'd just been this, the big fixie thing and it all, it was actually rejuvenated a lot of parts of the cycling industry, but my thing was always going to be progression and, and uh, even though we were going to use all metal for the frames for Mason Cycles, then everything else had to be modern and about keeping things progressive, yeah. Uh, I actually want to jump directly on a question there because, I mean, we're going to make introduction, but give me one second. So you were saying yeah, yeah. everything else apart from the material has to be modern. Do you think that aluminum, titanium and steel cannot be into modern cycling then? I mean, I don't think so because all the bikes are metal for you. But why do you say that everything should be modern aside from the material? Well, not, not aside from material, but um, what, I, what I mean is that, uh, that the brand would be led by progression. Of course. Um, and actually my... Because I used to work for almost 15 years with another brand, Kinesis, in the UK. Yeah. Um, designing their frames, and um, they were very, they were all aluminium. That was their thing. 
And um, so my whole thing became, how far can we push this material? And, and my thing is engineering and um, working with materials and metal. And that's my background anyway. And so I kind of became fascinated with like, how far can we push this? Because at the time, kind of carbon was exploding and Kinesis had actually started with carbon forks. They used to supply them to specialized. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, carbon was exploding and I did do some carbon frames and they were good. And uh, but I just found myself being, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't really be so passionate about it. And my, my passion was about metals and pushing that and how they were joined and formed and how far could we take that. And we took it pretty far with, um, with Kinesis. And it was, you know, those bikes were easily um, challenging and sometimes beating carbon frames at the time. So that's going on a bit too far in a way. But actually, the metals we now use, the titanium, the aluminium and the um, steel that we have made by the Italian makers, um, they are they are super advanced. And even though the kind of tube shapes are relatively simple compared to what we were doing with aluminium back in, you know, back in the day, mm-hmm. um, where we'd be able to choose like 200 down tubes or something from Kinesis. You know? Okay. <laughs> 150 oh, top tubes. And it was like, oh, too much. But now actually the simplicity and the beauty of it is we really think about the profiles and the way the tubes are made and how they work with the, with the frames and just working with these very small makers in Italy. So yeah, that, that, that's not the answer to your question, but the kind of answer is the tubing is really, it is, it is modern and advanced, but it's just not, uh, it's still fairly, fairly simple in form. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Out of time and completely. The simplicity is the main thing. But the progression then is in terms of the... Let me put it in another way, actually, Dom. Let's start from another side. And it seems like now, actually, you overseen or you actually further see, further saw, whatever was happening at the beginning of cycling, right? Because, I mean, now everybody talks a lot about exploring cycles, something that a bicycle that can do more things than just being super specialized in one thing, especially for the consumer point of view, right? And uh, all road is a thing, gravel is a thing, Um, rigid mountain bikes is a thing, bicycles that are made for many purposes and bicycles that are made just to feel free outside. You saw this thing, you talked about that, you just said that 10 years ago. In 2014. Yeah. So yeah. you, yeah. and that's everything that I think that actually that's the real progression, right? Uh, at the end of the day, we are talking about bicycles that are capable of doing multiple things that are adapting really closely to the perfect machine that is the human body and to the perfect mindset of people that want to just to go out and explore. Would you consider this one then also progression as the name of Mason Progression Progressive Cycling? When actually, when I was with Kinesis, because like you say, when in those days we we would make a <coughs> uh, like a XC race bike, yeah, we'd make a cyclocross bike, yeah, we'd make a road race bike. Um, you know, all fairly well, very specific because you were attracting 
that customer wanted a race bike. You know, they wanted a bike for quick racing. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. They would use it for that. They'd get them out, they would get another bike out for something else. Yeah. Um, and actually, we were quite big in cyclocross because, um, I mean, it depends how far back you want to go. But with, with that, um, in those days, even I was thinking, I saw. I thought, oh, what, what's this? Cyclocross. It wasn't my thing. My thing was mountain mm-hmm. biking, yeah. and you know, um, BMX and uh, and that kind of thing. Um, and I thought, oh, what what's going on here? <laughs> this looks a bit crazy. We should do a cyclocross bike. But then I started looking at cyclocross bikes, and they were like, they were seemed very. Oh, like they, they hadn't progressed. Mm-hmm. And um, my thing was mountain biking. So I thought, why don't we do a cyclocross frame with big clearance and fat aluminium tubes and make it light and have a carbon fork and, um, you know, use a bit of mountain biking in this thing. And then surely it's got to be better. Yeah. And we introduced a cyclocross frame. And it wasn't until much later that someone came to me and they said, oh, God, when you like, I don't know. They said, oh, 10 years ago, when you introduced that cyclocross frame, this was with, not with Mason, obviously. Um, it, it transformed the way that we rode yeah. in, uh, you know, in, in the UK. And I was like, no. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, Craziness. wow, this is like, like a mountain bike. And we, it's got mud clearance and you can put big tires on and stuff. So thinking about it, that was kind of almost one of the first times that we shook things up a little bit. And then going forward, towards the end of my time with Kinesis, then I was, I was, well, early on we did, we did, it kind of progressed through with me. Like people were using awful bikes for their, what they would call a winter trainer. Yes. So they would have a he- really heavy, heavy bike with old parts, which kind of makes sense because it's winter, right? So you don't want to ruin your, which, your best bike. Yeah. Because your best bike was a race bike. Went as fast as possible on on the road. Yeah, Interbike was a winter trainer. Yeah. So, but I was not from that world, and so I was like, "What is this? Why are they? Why are they making winter worse and suffering on this awful bike? Surely yeah. we can make something that feels fast, feels like a race bike. It has bigger tires, clearances. You can put mud guards on it. Why? Why wouldn't you put your old, your last year's old Tegra or something? Make it nice. Enjoy the winter. Go yeah. fast." I don't understand it. So we designed that bike, um, which was taking bigger tires, and we had to use big drop, long drop brakes to try and grab the rims around these big tires because there were no disc brakes. And and then people were like, "Oh, this is great! It's really fast! It's got big tires!" And they started putting new Altegra on it and making it really nice and riding it all year. And then that became. I called it the the four season bikes. I'd seen like four season sleeping bags or something. Yeah, and where four season came from, okay. and uh, so that you know that that seems to have been how I have gone through my bike design life by thinking, what? Why are they doing that? I don't get it. Let's kind of make it better. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, almost through being naive about stuff and having. Maybe I don't know if lack of respect is the right word, but having some just thinking I don't I don't get why they're doing that. But the reason they're doing it is because it's 
that's the way it's always been done. Mm-hmm. But I haven't always done it that way. That's so, perfect. Yeah. So then with, with Mason, when I, I, I started Mason, I knew that I wanted to push metal as far as I could. I knew that I wanted to start with um, big tyre road bikes that you could use all year yeah. that would go a long way. Yeah. And it, that kind of endurance word was starting to crop up. So I knew that I wanted these bikes to be able to be ridden for a long way in comfort, with big tires over variable surfaces. Um, and I knew because I put progressive in the word on the back of the seat tube in the title of the company that we would be led by progression. And yes. so we were going to use the latest components. We were going to use technology to um be the basis of this company but combined with super traditional makers super high quality it, and also i'd like to look at italy which is probably another thing which we'll talk about later but so the basis for it was all in my mind to start with you know and then yeah. oh disc brakes we're going to use disc brakes yeah why would we not yeah you know um but in those days that was like oh you know, there was a lot of, there was pushback about disc brakes, as you, as you all remember, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, since, pff, I don't know, I, s I mean, disc brakes were really well seen into the, I mean, the classic cycling world, and then, of course, in the pro world and everything, three years ago. I mean, it's a progression that happened in the three, I mean, the last three years, not more before. It's risky. They're not breaking good. Mechanic disc brakes is always a problem because they can just lock your your disc yeah. and then you're going to fall and you're going to go over the bar. Never. But I mean, we all know now that it's the best solution for braking. Yeah. And for me, if you if you think to what we were saying just now, I've been, I've been struggling to try and pinch a dirty rim around a mud guard and a big tire yeah with the brake blocks at the bottom of the slots to try to try and you know to try and make my uh, all season bikes yeah work with big tires and so as soon as disc brakes were viable or started to be viable i was like okay fantastic we can do away with caliper brakes they're a horrific thing yeah they, absolutely They are literally steam train technology when you used to try and grab a steel wheel with wooden blocks It's, on a train. Of course. <laughs> no, forget about so, that. So um, for me, it was just like, okay, brilliant. Disc brakes, they're going to free up so many design possibilities for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we, but you're right. Well, this was, well, with Kinesis, I was doing it. So it was like, like 15 years ago yeah uh, but with mason we would we didn't offer any other bike and pe people were saying oh i really like this mason resolution and definition but can you do me one with uh caliper brakes i was like no, <laughs> no <laughs> that's not mason. the thing <laughs> we are mason progressive cycles we are not going to use caliper brakes and we definitely lost sales because of that at the start yeah but um It was, we couldn't, we couldn't do it. And it was the right thing to do. And we kind of stood our ground. And I remember, you all remember as well, when there was that, I can't remember who it was, but Tour de France. And the guy fell off 
and he had he bike slid into him and he cut his yes bile. yeah and uh i'm not the greatest tour de france follower um but uh, there was a massive thing in the press about it. And this guy was saying, oh, it's disc brakes, it's disc brakes. And I don't know why he was, he was trying to make a thing about it. And, um, and it turned out it was his chain ring. Yeah, something. of course. You know, yeah. Like a 52 tooth chain ring is like way more out there, if you think, when the bike's sliding around and aggressive. Yeah. And a disc brake that's kind of protected by a wheel. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, oh damn, I hope this isn't going to kill disc brakes. <laughs> but, but of course it didn't. And, um, you know, it, 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 in a way, it helped to highlight disc brakes. But anyway, I'm probably, I'm waffling a little bit. But, uh, yeah, so since then, we've, been, we've always been driven by that technology. And we say ride-driven design because it's, we always do the thing that makes the riding better. Yeah. You know, yeah. same with one by. It opened up huge possibilities for us. It's absolute. 100% makes sense, but a lot of people at the time are like, oh, you know, why would you only have one chain ring at the front, you know? Yeah. So. I actually feel completely what you're saying. I'm, this, I'm exactly the same person. I only have bikes that are one by. Also my road bike, even if it's a carbon frame and blah, blah, is one by. My gravel bike, one by. Mountain bike, one by. Only that, because, I mean, why would you need something? I mean, a, a piece of metal rubbing with your uh, with your chain to change easier or not. I mean, you have enough, in my opinion, I have enough. As an amateur cyclist, I have enough uh, possibilities with just one chain ring and a big cassette than anything else. I'm not a pro. So I think it's more comfortable, less hassle and stuff that you have to, problems that you can have with. So, pff, problems. Yeah. So, and it also op opens up. It opens up that whole area, which is a difficult area for a bicycle designer, which is where the the bottom bracket, the chain stays, and the chain ring all meet down mm -hmm. there. And you're yeah. trying to get a wide tire. You're trying to keep the chain stays the right right length. You're trying to have a big enough chain ring. Um, it's all that's a, that's a tight spot down there. Mm -hmm. So one by opens that all up because you've got a wide range at the back. You can have a relatively small chain ring. It means you can open up the clearance there for mud guards and big tires. And it really made huge sense for when gravel bikes were kind of exploding and then we were, we were starting to do that. But two by, now we still, um, like endurance road bikes, makes a lot of sense to have two by on there for some people. Uh, we still sell quite a few tw two by, like GRX mm -hmm. bikes, um, because people do still like it. So, why not at the end? Yeah. yeah. Maybe we have to put something like period here, start again the conversation, and start yeah, from the, the beginning asking. It's fine. It's fine. But I want to ask you actually straight then yeah. in the middle of the conversation. Give me a bit of a background about you, Dom Mason. Yeah. Who is Dom Mason? Um, yeah. Well, do you know what? I, I don't know if I've forgotten who I am along the way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, it's a good. I mean, it's a good time to regroup. So you can put exactly. it here. It's gonna be on record. You can re you can re-listen that as exactly. soon as you want. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, you know, I think it's quite an interesting question because, um, like my whole my a lot of my life has been riding different different things. Yeah. You know, and um, if if I think about it, then you know, my passion is riding and. Uh, 
and uh, and that's really true. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say that my I wouldn't pigeonhole myself into my passion is bicycles and my passion is cycling because always it's just been. I just love the sort of dynamics of of riding something, yeah. you know, whether it's forwards or sideways or four wheels or two wheels or one wheel or what whatever yeah. or not no wheels you know like um snowboarding or something just the just the dynamic and the kind of i almost want to say the physics of it you know what i mean yeah like um a lot of my life has has been that and uh just um you know it if we go, it depends how far you want to go back, but I, I kind of feel like it's quite important that um, we grew up, me and my brother and also my sister, but she she didn't really join us with uh, bikes and stuff. But yeah. me and my brother, yeah. um, we grew up in the in the countryside, our house backed onto fields. But beyond the fields were forests. In the forests were trails, and the trails we knew by heart nice and they were our playground and we used to have groups of us that used to go into those trails build like use the natural terrain build jumps circuits you know we don't and obviously we'd always ride all the way there and all the way back and uh but there were no bikes for it there were no bike. There were no bikes. In the eighties, there was BMX. Yes, right? that's it. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. And, and we raced BMX. Me and my brother raced BMX, and uh, we didn't have great bikes. We generally made our own bikes, uh, and we weren't very good at it. But we kind of probably better than we thought, I guess. Yeah. Um. Our main thing was riding in the forest with friends, and there was nothing for that. And so we used to use ten-speed bikes which we would modify and put big cow home. Do you call them cow home bars? Uh, ah, yeah, I know what you mean. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. The one with yeah, the extensions on top. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. So we'd have a T-bar across the top. They'd be like big, almost like you see on a motocross bike. Yes, 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 yes. We'd modify our bikes. We'd put big bars on. Uh, we'd all go in the forest, ride fast as possible around these trails, nice. constantly folding wheels over because they were still... <laughs> of course <clears throat> we try and find tires we try and wedge what i now know were cyclocross tires but we didn't know what they were yeah on those bikes and it was a big part of our childhood and uh so then we just went on through life um just making our own bikes modifying bikes and then i i clearly remember when a friend of mine who was older He's still a friend of mine nice. to the day. Yeah. He's a surfer now and he's ridden stuff all his life. He came through the forest and I can see it in my mind. He was on a yellow muddy fox. Uh huh. And I was like, what? What the fuck is that? <laughs> and it was like, it was, I don't know, it, it, like an apparition, right? Yeah. Because so, we'd never seen a mountain bike before. Yeah. He, and he, somehow he, his dad was something to do with the USA and somehow he got a muddy fox and it was one of those yellow muddy fox. Obviously, you can imagine the big cantilever brakes, mm -hmm. right? Triple front chain ring. Huge, of course. Yeah. Huge rear mech, yeah. like skin wall tires. But 
with the tread on, you know. It was like and sort of a gel saddle and like a bar ends. All of this stuff was like, like it makes my hair stand up on my arms now. He was like, what the hell is that? It was, it was from another world. Now, and we'd been watching, we were, we were skaters and BMXers, right, really. And we'd been watching California and all that, all that kind of uh, the skate scene and BMX scene in California, tube socks and vans and yeah. palm trees and sunshine. And it was like, it was like, that is heaven. And this thing had kind of come from there a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, so it was like, whoa. So that was probably a bit of a bit of a moment. Um, but we couldn't get that. So we carried on riding our bikes. This is leading somewhere. <laughs> but um, then I remember my girlfriend at the time, her brother got a Marin or Ridgeback or something. Ridgeback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He got a Ridgeback and he it, it was huge. It was like what we would have called like a 21 inch frame. Like mm-hmm. It's big. Yeah. And he kind of rode around on it and I had it, like it was way too big for me. And, but it was still kind of like, well, this is cool. Look at those gears and stuff. Yeah. And then anyway, he, he wasn't really a rider. He gave up with it. And I said, Oh, I thought this is my chance to have a mountain bike. Yeah. yeah. It was still, yeah. still quite rare. Yeah. It seems weird. But, um, so, uh, I put, I got it off him. And uh, it was way too big. I used to have to have the saddle slammed and the almost like the clamp upside down on the yeah. saddle to make it low enough. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I couldn't really ride it. And so then I, I was I was an agriculture engineer at that time, mm-hmm. and uh, I was just looking at it, thinking, mm, "What can I do with this?" And at the time, Kona. Kona had appeared. Yeah. And Kona were like, they were like, a Muddy Fox was kind of, kind of conventional looking, like a big front triangle and big. Yeah. Kona, they had these like long head tubes. They had a really sloping top tube. Yeah. And a small rear triangle. And it was like, whoa, they look rad. I, I love the look of that. So yeah. I like, thought, right, I'm going to cut this up. So I cut, I cut up the, Took it apart, cut the frame up. Okay. Uh, chopped the top tube out. I took the seat stays out. I shortened the seat tube um, and re-slotted it. Then I sloped the top tube down and reprofiled all the ends with a file. Yeah. Uh, and then I unbraised the seat stays and sloped them and reprofiled them. Craziness. Okay. Seat tube. And I brazed them back in. I welded the top tube back in and I painted it all myself and I even made a fork. Oh, <laughs> made it by yeah. so from scratch or yeah. oh crazy. Yeah. Okay. It had an aluminium crown and it had like, um, I think they were carbon tubes and aluminium dropouts. Okay. Onded it all together. It, I'm, I'm, it's amazing that I survived. Do you still have this bike? No. Oh, okay. Oh, I wish I did. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where it went. It got lost in the lost in the mist of time, but it was like, whoa, it was really good. It worked so well. It's probably a bit too long okay. now. So I had to have a short stem. Yeah. Now, yeah. if you look, now, if you look, mountain bikes are long. Absolutely. Yeah. So without knowing it, 
And just by wanting to make a mountain bike that looked like a Kona, yeah. I did this thing. And so I think, well, at the time, I just did it because it was just like, I can do, I can do this. Didn't think about it. But if I look back, it, it was quite an important moment because I think it made me think, ah, there's, there's no black art to this thing. It's not... It's not, you know, it's not, there's no magical thing. You can do it. I can yeah. do it. Yeah. And so maybe it made me think, oh, I could do it. And uh, yeah. So that was kind of that. You asked, just asked me to go back to who Don Mason is. But I think that's kind of probably the start, almost the start of my fascination with making. I'd always, I always love making things. Thing, but that's probably the start of where all the bike, making your own bike, well, not even the start, but that you can do a, make your own frame. Yeah. You know? that, that's where that, that came from. Yeah. Um, and then coupled with my love for riding and the sort of feeling of the dynamics and the, you know, the feeling of a carve and the, what feels right and what isn't right and engineering background and making things and being in a, agriculture engineer for years and understanding materials and metals and you know it, I, I guess that that's where this sort of all started from that's perfect yeah, yeah. yeah. it's super fascinating actually really from the passion of riding bikes already modifying the bikes for the bikes you had for the bicycles that i mean for the need you had so i mean starting from the classic bike and going into the trails and then try to understand what you can do getting inspirations here and there it's really yeah. where actually also this progression kind of attitude goes right something like don't not only use what i mean you can use what you have for i mean uh yeah use what you have for something that you want to do, but also adapting for having the best experience on what you want to do. That's actually, probably that's exactly the spirit, right? Of uh, Mason as a bicycle company. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I think, I think so. Yeah. That, that's definitely in there somewhere, you know, with, with, um, uh, an understand, an understanding of what makes things work and um you know also a real understanding of materials and metal and and how they join together and what works with what and um that that's really important as well so it's kind of like a it's kind of like an accidental but kind of important mix that you know when i talk to people like you is the only time i think about it but i i guess that's that's kind of at the heart of things and also with because I taught I taught engineering and design and welding and fabrication and um, uh, you know even hydraulics and pneumatics and things like that. I taught that at um, an engineering college for a f quite a few years. Oh, nice! And, uh, and even the agricultural engineering background is really important because it's all about mend and make. And if there isn't the right thing, make it yourself. Yes. And, you know why? Why not? Yeah. You know. Not, and um so that that's in there that's also in there somewhere um because there was not there was not especially for cycling there was not the thing that we wanted that we that was right for what we were doing it just wasn't there mm -hmm. and we couldn't afford it anyway you know we weren't going to get a muddy fox from the usa 
Of no, course. No way. Yeah. I never, I never, I never had that. So, yeah, I, I, that is definitely in the mix somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's super nice, actually, because, I mean, now it's uh, it's really understanding and covering whatever actually is at the basics and is the base, is the platform where uh, Mason grew. But getting back actually into time, yeah. so this love for metal, this opportunity of finding new technologies in order to have the best user rider experience, uh, yes. the attitude of riding everything at its best drove yeah. you rode you better uh into this as i was saying 10 years ago when uh, i mean the first bicycle was out and actually then uh josh that i would say that is probably the prototype of the user of uh the mason bikes because yes. i mean he rides everything he has good handling skills he he loves long rides adventures and everything but then everything came together with um josh winning the transcontinental race right right uh, right there and there probably there was the first site inside of this new world of experiencing on the bike and you were full in i mean yeah. you were completely full in you really created the best machine for experiencing this thing tell me so we're talking about the first Mason bike. We're talking about the first really big challenge for a Mason bike. We are talking about uh, Josh being involved into that with this also super progressive way of thinking, uh, cycling as it is, and with his huge experience of cycling and everything and his um, flexibility in terms of actually capability of riding many things all together. Mm. Tell me a bit more full stop there something like flash on that moment if you have a picture of it can you just describe me that moment how everything happened yeah so that, that that's that's uh that's interesting that you pick up on that because that would be one of the pivotal moments for us mm. um in that we had the brand really started in 2014 mm -hmm. um so it was 2015 that Josh was going to ride the TCR. Mm -hmm. um, and so we'd really only just, we had started with two models and obviously both metal, one aluminium, one steel, because I was really interested in showing the, the capabilities and the advantages of both. So, um, and how differently they rode. So we were only, let's say, not even one year in, right? So um, Josh was a friend of mine at the time already. He His thing was mountain biking, uh, and he used to be – he was really – his thing was mountain bike racing. So – but then just he'd, he'd started to realise that he he could ride for a long time and that, you know, he could – the endurance was also his thing. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe he was, you know, starting to – think that he'd had enough, not had enough, but mountain bike racing wasn't going to be his focus. So he had done the TCR before and I can't remember what bike it was, but he, it, it failed him. And I think it, I'm pretty sure it was a gears. Uh, he had mechanical gears and for the last something like 500 miles, he'd been stuck in one gear or something. Oh gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, he's still finished, uh, but it was hard. So he knew that we'd started this brand and 
as we said earlier, that the focus of these bikes was comfort over a long distance mm-hmm. and riding in all sorts of different conditions. But Mason was always going to be about um, like the ride, the ride quality, um, and that the bikes had to be engaging as well as comfortable and fast. And also the idea was always going to be that they're not race bikes, but you are riding them with a destination in mind and you okay. might be okay i want to get there in a day or mm-hmm. you know this is my target or something yeah. so not only were they a four season bike but they were a kind of progression of that in that now they were going to be a bike that was were going a long way fast in comfort and you weren't going to be beaten up yeah and they might be as light as carbon bike but you would be the guy that was fresher and wanted to go another 200 miles. Okay. So this is already the, already the focus mm-hmm. uh, of, of the bikes. And I knew I wanted them to have moved on from what I was doing before, which was like the best four-season bike to the best all-season, like long-distance, all-condition bike, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So then Josh said, oh, I'm going to do the TCR in 2015. And actually, it wasn't, it wasn't really on my radar at that point. It wasn't on many people's radar. It was a kind of outsider thing, you know. And people in the cycling industry were like, oh, wow, what's going on here? This is crazy sort of thing. And Mike Hall had really brought it to the forefront. Um, and people were thinking, wow, this is mad. What are people what are people doing? How can they ride so far? Yeah. No. Uh, I absolutely remember that period in life. I mean, all of us, yeah. we were just saying, "What? that's different. That's different. Yeah. yeah. But it wasn't a big thing. Right? It was still like, oh, they're weird. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, now I think it's a bit more normalized. But at that time, those people that were riding these 3,000 kilometers, 4,000 kilometers, they were just weirdos. Being there. And, uh, well, it's, not, it's not important. Let them do it. Yeah. Uh, but for me, it was like, Wow, 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 what's going on here? And I was already thinking, okay, look, you know, our bikes would be really good for that. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't what I designed the bikes for. It was just I designed the bikes for that sort of thing. Yeah. So anyway, so then Josh said, I'm doing the TCR 2015. And he said, oh, is there any chance that you could, like, lend me a bike? And I was like, oh, my God. You know, we we almost only just come out of our front room. And uh, we were... We were a friend had lent me his, this the floor of his little warehouse, and we were doing everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's like giving someone a bike was like, can we, can we give someone a bike? Can we afford it? Really, this yeah. was the stage, right? Yeah, because I, I'm bouncing around everywhere here. But um, I, my my dad had just died, and um, I I'd plowed, my wife. We, I got some inheritance, not very much. And my wife was like, oh, good, we can get a kitchen. Oh, okay. And I, and I was like, oh, Julie, I think I want to leave my job, my full-time job, and start a bike company. And she was like, okay. <laughs> and uh, so we, we did it all from the front room, and my little boys put bike parts in bags. And, oh, nice. You know, yeah. My, my little boy put the first head badge on and it was like only just past that stage. And so it was like a big thing for us. 
And so me and Julie sat down and we said, okay, let's, let's do this. Josh is a friend. This is a kind of a cool ride. Um, let's, it was almost like, it wasn't like, oh, if he won, then wouldn't it be great or something? It'd be like, it was just like, okay, let's just see what happens. Okay. Okay. And um, so we gave him a bike and it was a definition and it was an old Tegra DI2 because it was like DI2 is new ish. Electronic shifting was still like, Ooh, why would you have, you know, why wouldn't you have cables? What, you know, why would you want like switches sort of thing? And it was disc brakes and it was like, Oh, disc brakes, you know, they, that, that Illuminati thing. Do you know that? Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. But it was like, one of the Illuminati things was, was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what they are, but it was all about the rules for cycling. Yeah. And it was almost like the anti Don Mason. Cause it was like, what do you mean rules? <laughs> uh, absolutely. I mean, this Velominati yeah. thing, this Velominati thing for me, it's, we're going to have another conversation about that in another podcast. This Velominati thing hits my nerves so much because yeah, yeah. I mean, why do you put rules on things that I love? Leave me alone. Yeah, Let yeah. me go out with my pyjama and I'm going to have fun yeah, anyways. Yeah, yeah. That's another well, story though. Have, <laughs> or you must have a 52 tooth chaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you can't have disc brakes or when you put your sunglasses on, they have to be over your straps or under yeah, your straps. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so it's like, anyway, so it was electronic shifting. Yeah. It was disc brakes. It was aluminium frame. Yeah. Um, uh, had big tires, you know, they were like 32 or something. Um, uh, it was kind of, it was endurance geometry, you know, who had, and people were like, what do you mean? Is what's endurance geometry so uh it was all a little bit even though that seems so normal now you know at that time that was 2015 it was it was like it was all a bit uh what's the word it was it was it was kind of people were like uh, raising an eyebrow you know mm-hmm. but my whole thing you know also with skateboarding you know that skateboarding thing has always been like the same oh what you know what's that you know always perceived as being an like anti-establishment yeah. although now it's like totally normal you know every kid has a skateboard absolutely yeah 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 you know but like, i'd grown up with bmx and skateboarding and maybe they helped inform things and made me have lack of not lack of what's the right word but i don't know if someone's making rules and it's like right fuck that i'm not i'm not doing it yes 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 yeah. Or if everyone's going that way, then I'm like, I'm not going that way. Absolutely. I almost like can't. So, you know, that that kind of thing. Uh, and once again, I'm meandering all over the place. But so at that point, you asked me to stick to Josh's thing and I meandered all over the place. <laughs> but it's okay. I love the skateboarding thing. But yeah, we're talking about Josh, 2015, on a definition version one. Let's refocus. So there he was. He had this. We took pictures of it. I can send you pictures of it. I want to see it. Yes. It was the first time I took real proper pictures of someone on the bike, a Mason bike. Even that was an important thing. So we sat him on the bike in the warehouse, took some pictures. It looked quite cool. I can picture it in my mind now. Is it? Was it black? Isn't it? It was blue. It was dark blue. blue. Dark blue. Like I remember Josh a dark color. Hunt, he, he, he started working for Hunt. He had his Hunt kit on. Also made him wear a Mason jersey. We'd just done them, I think. And he's huge. He tells, you know, he's always embarrassing because he's much taller than me. Um, 
He's much taller than everybody, most probably. Yeah, yeah. he's a freak. Um, It was cool because it was like, here's this guy who's like, he's a really good rider. I so respect him. Such a nice guy. Yeah. He's sitting on one of my bikes. And it was like, we we kind of made this happen. And um, so even that was important. So then off he goes. I didn't really even know what the... The, what the TCR was. <laughs> you know? yeah. I hadn't had time to even think about it because starting a bicycle company on your own, I mean, who knew how hard it was going to be? So hard. So, okay, okay, let's get Josh on a bike. So off Josh goes and we're following him. And once again, in those days, dot watching. Right? Who heard of dot watching? No, absolutely, no. absolutely nobody. No. Twenty fifteen. <laughs> yeah. Right. So in twenty, so it's one of those things where everything kind of falls into place. We're starting a bike company. It's going to be all about these bikes we just described. The TCR had been under the radar. All of a sudden, in twenty fifteen, the TCR was on the radar. Yeah. Like everyone was like, oh dot watching and like dot watching was like a new thing like it was a new it was a new term mm-hmm. no one had dot watched and people didn't know what it was yeah right so if you, you people had dot watched if they'd been watching some marathon runner friend or something mm-hmm. so the technology was new people had the transponders on the bikes and um is that the right word transponder that sound right? I think transponder makes sense yes yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 on the bikes it's fairly new you can watch a dot there was the start of the race. There was a cluster of these dots. And I was like, whoa, let's find Josh. And then all of a sudden, every day, we could follow Josh riding across Europe. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. So we'd start a new bike company. Everything was going on. We'd given this guy a bike. He was going to ride across Europe. <laughs> oh, my God. Terrifying. What if it went wrong? Well, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, of course. Like, I mean... Of course, tons of possibilities, right? But also a lot of risks because, I mean, it's your bike out there on su- a new bike yeah. on something that is also quite new and a lot of things can happen out there. A lot of responsibilities, yeah. but a lot of possibilities as well. Exactly. So it's nerve-wracking. I'm not going to say the world is watching, but a lot of people were watching. All yeah. of a sudden, it spiked and people were watching. Yeah. So, okay, let's just hope Josh gets through it, right? And uh, really cool because we can say, oh, this bike has ridden the whole of the race. Or even if it doesn't get through, yeah. we can say it's ridden, you know. 2,000, 3,000 kilometers. Yeah. Also, the TCR that year had a little off-road section in it. It had some gravel. There was the Asieta climb, right? It was one yeah. of those times there was the Colle de la Sieta. Amazing climb, by the way. Yeah, I've got some pictures. Yeah. Have to remind. <laughs> yes. But... but um, that was really, so I think, and I'm not TCR expert, but I think that was kind of the first time there was a little sketchy bit of gravel over the top of a mountain down the other side. Mm-hmm. I think it had been on the road. Josh, someone better than me will tell you. Yeah. So a few people were on crazy, like, time trial bikes. I remember there was a guy on a, I think there was a guy on a carbon bike which had all carbon pannier parts made, and it was super quick, and we were like, oh, bloody hell. That is an amazing bit of kit. But it was on little skinny tires. Yeah. So off Josh goes. He's a mountain biker through and through. 
He's doing done endurance race. He's on our bike. Off he goes. And we're watching the dot. And every morning, I would get up and first thing I'd do was watch the dot. Watching the dot. Wow. New experience for me. Yeah. Once again, hair standing up on the arms because it's like, wow, wow. Wow, he's actually near the front. And so every morning I'd get up and he was like, Julie, Julie, he's still near the front. He's still near the front. And, uh, and then there was one point where it was maybe three quarters of the way through. Oh, well, before that, he'd gone over the top of this mountain in the gravel, right? And he'd made up a, a quite, I think he'd made up a load of time because he was, his thing is like he can go on off road fast and down mountains and descend, and he's pretty good at it, yeah. right? Even on sketchy gravel on what you might call a road bike. But yeah. the definition had big tires mm-hmm. and it was quite good off road. <laughs> so also Joshua quite good off road. So he made up some time. Three quarters of the way through, there's this big mountain. And the, as with a lot of these races now, there's, des- there's checkpoints and destinations, but you, don't, doesn't, you can choose your own route yeah. as long as you go through the checkpoint. Yeah. So there, was, there were two people at the front. One of them was Josh. I'm doing the guy disservice, but I can't remember who the other guy was. Yeah, me neither. I'm sorry for that, everybody. We're gonna we're gonna look it up. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna try so, to add something there. Yeah. So we were we were watching, and they both they went different ways around this mountain. There was a, there was there were two routes, two mountain passes. Josh went right. The other guy went left. Yeah. And I was watching them go around the mountain. I was thinking, climbing. Like Josh could be in first place, and it was like. Well, it's a, and it was the first time that I thought, okay, well, if Josh wins it on our bike and then how cool could that be? And like, we, you know, it could be just like a really cool thing for us. And we could say, okay, well, these bikes that we said were riding a long way and going fast and going far and they were comfortable and they were supposed to keep you going when other people couldn't keep going. You know, wow, that could all, that could be kind of all ties together. How cool could that be? Because yeah. there was no concept of like they you know it it they, it the concept wasn't that tight before yeah. you know what i mean so anyway so i go to bed next the next day obviously josh is riding through the night three hours of sleep a yeah. night right yeah, yeah. um you wake up in the morning josh is still in front he's winning this tcr thing and from then on it was like then it, shift, it shifted and it was like, oh, oh, shit. Now this is scary because what if he doesn't win? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's gone from like, oh, I hope he completes the race to like, you can't help hope that he wins, yeah. you know? One, he's my friend. I really, wouldn't it be wonderful? Two, we've got this new brand and we're all about like comfortable long distance bikes. Wouldn't this be cool if, if Josh won? You know, also Hunt Wheels had just started. Yeah. My friends, Tom. Yeah. And his brother. I did the graphic for Hunt Wheels. No way. Okay. Yeah. Ah, good to know. So, uh, he did, I hate spreadsheets. He, his thing wasn't graphics. So I said, right, if you do these spreadsheets about like how much bikes cost and, you know, all that kind of stuff, I can't deal with it. Num- like money and spreadsheets, just can't do it. So he's like, that's his thing. So Tom did that for me. I'm sidetracking again, but it's quite interesting. It's super interesting. I was 
try, I was doing the graphics for Mason. And I said, I, I, if you do spreadsheets, I'll do the graphics for you. Because he was coming up with some graphics. And sorry, Tom. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, if I remember correct, I interviewed anyways, Tom, on, um, on another episode of the podcast last year, two years yeah. ago. And I think he mentioned that as well. So you can go free. I love him. I love him. He's a really good friend of mine. But his graphics are let's say, <laughs> a nice thing. So I'll tell you in private about one of them. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's keep it here. It's quite funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I was at 2 a.m. trying to come up with an icon for Mason for the, for the, for Twitter. Once again, Twitter was quite a big thing. Yeah. Also, that ties in because people were watching TCR on Twitter, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Sharing yes. stuff on social media in 2015. Yeah. Was, yeah. Was, if the iPhone, pretty sure no one had an iPhone. Yeah, it was still, I mean, it was still new, but yeah, iPhone was there, but yeah, Twitter was the main news. It was really at that time, Twitter was the new, kind of the underground news outlet, the way yeah. you can find everybody, everybody still, Dot Watcher were still probably super young, but also yeah, Dot Watcher were there yeah. and they were actually posting with exactly. the TCR 2015 hashtag, Twitter yes, was hashtag. the thing, the hashtag thing was the thing, yeah. Yeah, it was a thing, for, and Twitter was a thing for real people who were interested in stuff instead of a cesspool of, like, hate. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, back, refocus, refocus. So, yes, Hunt. So I did the graphic for Hunt. Yeah. I came up with that four-cross spoke thing in a, in a box, and the Hunt worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, for me, that was, like, really cool. So those Hunt wheels were on Josh's bike, and so it was really cool for Tom and Pete and Hunt. So we were all watching it by that point. In the morning, instead of just like waking up and like thinking, oh, I should look at the dot, it was like, first thing, first thing, hairs up, up on the arms again. So Josh, Josh pushed on and who knows? Josh won the TCR uh -huh. <laughs> in 2015, right? So I still feel myself getting emotional about yeah. it now. I can imagine. Because, because it was like, all sorts of things, you know, wow, this is cool for our brand. Uh, this is cool for Josh because he, he's wanted to do this. Uh, you know, it really almost because I, because I've been kind of with these bikes, it was like, oh, big tires, disc brakes, endurance, like all season, long distance, whatever. It was like, ah. Oh, you know, is this a thing? Is this really a thing? <laughs> you know, and um, it almost legitimized what I've been trying to do. Mm -hmm. But I almost didn't know. I've always done stuff on a hunch. You know, there's not a big game plan or like, we don't do market research. I've never done market research. What, you know, what the fuck is that anyway? So, because it can just take you down the, I don't know where it take. Where would it take you? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the, always... the sentence that they say most of the time is, uh, "Watch out for numbers. Numbers are liars," and that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, now seems like we are here, two people talking bad about business plans or whatever. But that's yeah. exactly how I see that. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, yeah market research, business plan. You can go whatever you want, and then if you failed, you failed anyways with all your market stuff and not. So. Yeah. So it's either what you do and it works, or. It or it doesn't, and maybe my aversion to maths and numbers and yeah. money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've just done stuff on a hunch and by watching stuff and 
um, I don't know, gut feeling maybe. Yeah. And um, so this whole thing, starting a blinking bike brand called Mason, and we're going to base it on these bikes, and then we're going to be metal, and then we're going to be made in by time makers in Italy, and you know they were for this type of riding. You know, all of a sudden it kind of legitimised what I'd been thinking. So for me, it was like thinking back, it's probably like, oh my god, you know, uh, maybe this is gonna work. <laughs> That's super nice. Because I'd taken it, I'd taken my family down. Like even by that point, it was like, you know, I'd had, I'd already had some failures with Mason with. Like the first samples that I got mm-hmm. out of this, we were like, oh, oh dear, this is not going to work. Mm-hmm. I honestly was worried. Okay. Because so, I was learning how to, I've been working with Taiwan for 15 years, I was learning how to work with these little makers in Italy. It was a massive learning curve, which I never thought was going to be there. So it could, it may not have worked. So then but by that point, we got our first batch which were absolutely like spot on, amazing enough. We'd made our own fork. We hadn't used anyone else's fork because I couldn't find a fork. So the forks also made, designed by you at the barn, yeah. basically. Yeah. Okay. There was no fork. Everybody was using everyone else's. Yeah, fork. of course. A fork you could get off the shelf because it's really hard to make a fork. Yeah. Really hard. Yeah. With Kinesis, I'd learned about that kind of thing. And it wasn't a... It wasn't a massive mystery. I didn't have to buy someone's fork. I could design and make my own fork. And so I started there because it was so hard. So I st- I'd started with the fork. And I knew that we had to make our own fork. It wasn't one, it wasn't one for big tires, internal routing, um, guard, uh, light attachment, disc brake. It wasn't, it wasn't one. Absolutely. <laughs> There was a cyclocross fork, probably brutal, yeah, brutal cyclocross fork. It yeah. Wasn't refined. It couldn't be mason. It couldn't. You couldn't hang the bike off that fork, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Really, Absolutely. So we had to start with that. It was a massive outlay for me and Julie. It was like five grand tooling or something. Uh, it was a big risk. The whole thing was a risk, and so that we'd made our own fork. Actually, the. I could go on and on. I won't go on. The, the go fork, ahead. Yeah. The, the maker for the fork disappeared. He disappeared. And we'd already had orders for bikes. And the guy, I'd had to take a risk with the maker for the fork. He'd had to take a risk with me because I was all of, I was no one. Oh, sorry. I mean, the beginning of the journey, right? So Yeah, Dominic Mason. Yeah. Then he, somehow his company, fork making company, what okay we were like six months in and i had no fork and so we'd already put some bikes out there and all of a sudden i had orders and no fork so we had to find a new maker and start new tooling so we'd already gone through like struggles and risk and expense and actually when i look back i redesigned the fork i found a much better maker I was one of the first to do through axle. Um, mm. did, went straight to internal routing for the dynamo, all that kind of stuff. Nice. So it was horrific at the time, but it was. But we turned it around, and it meant we advanced quicker than we thought we would. 
Um, anyway, <laughs> I've gone off the subject, but Josh winning the TCR. So it was a, it was a pivotal moment because it legitimised what we were doing. It made me feel like, okay, this thing's real. It was a start of people looking at that type of endurance riding uh, and dot watching. And also, we could say, here's a Mason definition. He won the TCR 2015. Yeah. And it also was a pivotal moment for Josh because it, it, it um, showed him what he could do. Absolutely. And it started him off on that different route. So, and also importantly, at that point, that the fast, far thing kind of coagulated in my mind and I, I did hashtag fast, far. No one else was using yeah. hashtag fast, far yeah. because there were many hashtags. Um, and we became the fast, far bicycle company and it kind of, it was a good focus because our bikes were either going to be used for going fast or they're going to be used for going far or both. Um, and since then, that's it's remained a focus. Absolutely. And, um, so that TCR, it was just, um, it was an important coming together of lots of things. And, um, you know, we still would have been doing what we're doing. Um, but it really um, helped focus things and set us on our path. And since then, Josh and I have worked closely together. He's like an insanely better rider than I'll ever be. Um, I'll never be able to ride like he will. And I wouldn't try. <laughs> he would kill me. But, um, <laughs> It also started, so since then we've worked closely together and we've, you know, we've, he's helped me come up with um, new models and new ways of thinking. And it also maybe, maybe think how important and powerful it is to support people and work with riders. And so instead of, since then, instead of, we don't have a, much of a marketing budget but what we do and because it, it's just a, a belief of mine that i want to help people and support people and since then we've supported riders and it's become a really important thing for me personally because um it, one obviously like if they can do something like that it's yeah. great for one but two it's just like i just i just like getting my I just like, one, I like supporting people in what they want to do. Um, and two, I like create, making, like creating something and getting it out under people and seeing what they can do with it and watching them do things. Absolutely. It's just really nice to, to do that. And for a small bike company, you know, we, we support eight or nine riders now, which is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, it's really really important for me and it's something I'm passionate about and um, it helps to keep me get going to watch these people because it's hard, <laughs> you know, but Absolutely. Um, it's wonderful seeing those people out there and what they're doing and, uh, you know, it's inspirational. Yeah. So it's, so from Josh and the TCR, 
it's led into that. Yeah. And also they are constantly feedback and ideas and inspiration and, oh, if we did that, why wouldn't, it, wouldn't it just make it better? Or if we, even if we just move this, I don't know, cable to here or make a little bit more clearance here or concentrate on this part of the bike or, and you know, there's that. And also they are, Try, they're not trying to destroy the bikes, but they are they pushing are, to the limit. They are absolutely like pushing them to limits. And like any good rider, they really want to forget. They don't want to be thinking about the bike, right? Mm -hmm. If you're thinking about the bike, there's something wrong with the bike. Absolutely. You want, to, you want to forget about the bike. The bike is your tool, your instrument for doing your thing. Uh, and it just needs to do its job and it needs, but yes, it needs to be enjoyable and fast and comfortable, but you kind of need to forget about it. And also for the kind of off-road endurance thing and the road endurance thing, that bike needs to carry you home. It needs to be confidence inspiring. It needs to not throw you off if you hit a pothole or off camber around a corner. Um, or if you're hallucinating, Josh is like, oh, I've seen elephants, like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Three o'clock in the morning, uh, he needs the bike to be, you know. Supportive, him, yes. Yeah, and carrying him home. So there's all that stuff. So, yeah, super, 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 super important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the pivotal time was there, but something earlier happened there so you said since the beginning you work with metals and yeah. with italian manufacturers yeah tell me a bit more about that i will actually probably point out on three different points why doing it in italy so metals is clear uh yeah. because of the progression the possibilities and actually because it's a different material also because you were used to work on that since the beginning but as you were saying with Kinesis, you worked actually mostly with Taiwan, but then you, with Mason, you tried to shift everything in uh, into Italy. So my main, so the points are actually why in Italy and how many are your partners there? Because I think that you have, if you can name them, of course, you feel free of doing whatever. It fits better, but because you are also looking not only for the best manufacturers out there that they can help you out, but also the best manufacturers for different materials because for sure maybe people can do everything of course but for sure yeah. the more expertise you get for aluminum aluminum is there yeah. but then you can do with steel and stuff so maybe you have different partners and uh yeah that work different with different things yeah yeah so so to start with as you say i love working with metal and i love the weld you know i can be i can be passionate about the weld and how mm -hmm. something's joined together. So that, that was something I knew that I, I wanted to do because I had to be passionate about it. And if it left me cold, mm -hmm. I wasn't likely to have the energy to pursue it when things were difficult. Okay. So, so, um, also, well, there's, there's, there's various layers to it because, um, the, the Taiwanese, the Taiwanese makers, you, you can hardly fault it, really. They are really, really good mm -hmm. at making bike frames and carbon and um, 
they're actually passionate about it. You know, uh, Kinesis were really pushing things. Um, and they, you know, they're, they're friendly and they, they really want to help. And they are, their whole thing is like, what can we do for you? What can we do for you? Uh, it's not without its problems, but um, you can't say that they um, don't do a good job or they're not good to work Absolutely. with. Absolutely. It, it, it wasn't even really that. I think one of the main things was I had, um, I, I kind of realized that Italy used to be a powerhouse of bicycle frame manufacture. A hundred percent. I can confirm that. Yeah. I, so they were, the, they were the ones making the bicycle frames mm -hmm. for the world almost. Then, um, you know, Taiwan were a powerhouse of industry and they started making bicycle frames en masse and getting good at it. And then, I don't know, maybe Italy just, like, any, like anything, you know, like, I don't know, let's say Nokia, they thought they were the, never, they were the best they had no competition. Yeah. Why would they? Why would they worry about it? Yeah. All of a sudden, Nokia were no one. Disappearing. They were away yeah. By iPhone. Mm -hmm. Right. So, almost it happened. Like Taiwan took the bike industry from Italy, and um, so I kind of don't say I've watched that happening, but I was aware that it was kind of happening because my thing was working with those guys in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. You know, Kinesis were almost at the forefront of tube manipulation and um hydroforming and they, they were at the forefront of that super plastic forming was a thing that they did which was new so it was exciting yeah um but over the years i became i so i would design frames uh, and bikes and they would make them they would paint them they were wonderful they worked really nicely they came from Taiwan, they ended up in the warehouse and people bought them and it was a success. And we went from one frame or two frames. Mm -hmm. Once again, the first frame that I designed probably wasn't very good. Yeah. Kind of learned as I went along. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail because it'll take us all day. But um, the thing was, even though they won awards, they were really good. They still are really good there was something missing a little bit for me in that. Okay. That one's really good. Let's move to the next one. Okay. That one's really good. Let's move to the next one. Mm -hmm. And you know, I was, I, I think it was, I was divorced from the whole process. I'm kind of a maker and a hands-on guy and, you know, I can cut something up and weld it back together. And so I was, I was missing that. Um, and because I was in, I was into tubing and stuff, I realized that Columbus and Data Chai were making these lovely tubes in Italy. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, okay, that's, that's interesting. Cause I, I really want to push metal frames as far as I possibly can. I've already been doing that. Um, I can see how it can progress. 
I think there's some sort of magic in working with, you know, uh, the fairly pure tubing. I mean, pure as in pure design. Yeah. Coming out of Italy, but pushing it hard and using it in a very modern way. Yeah. Taking advantage of all this technology that's coming out for carbon bikes, really. Uh, disc brakes, flat mount, through axle, mm-hmm. internal routing, taper headsets. Uh, what else? Oversize uh, down tubes. Um, all that, all that kind of thing. That was that was really pushed by carbon. Um, you know, the little flat mount brakes. Yeah, really, because the carbon makers wanted to fit that little caliper brake in the rear triangle. Mm-hmm. And for them, they could they could do that because it's because with carbon, you you know, as you well know, you can you're not having to machine bits out of metal particularly, so you can mould it all around stuff. Yes, so yes, yes. they were pushing technology. Mm-hmm. They were pushing the group set makers, and so I was thinking, okay, if I can use what I've learned about metal and bikes and bike design, and I can uh, take it to these small makers in Italy who are still at the top of their game, but they've kind of had, you know, they're still, they've still, their craft is still amazing. Mm-hmm. They kind of, at, at that point, they were just like maybe making lugged frames and, you know, it's all still very traditional. But yes. if I can really take advantage of the tubing technology, the component technology, take it to these tiny little workshops in Italy and use modern design and really try and push things with my fork, then wouldn't that be kind of a wonderful thing to bring mm-hmm. it all together? Yeah. Um, and so kind of in my naivety, that's, that's what I decided to do. And I went, I found some, I found the contact for Columbus Tubing, who was a, the sales agent of Columbus Tubing, and he helped me because he obviously knew the makers. And we went around the makers and like you say, I was like, okay, I'm sorry about this, but I really want the best maker for titanium. I want the best maker for aluminium. I want the best maker for steel. And that's how I want, I want to start. Mm-hmm. I don't want to use one maker for everything and kind of do a you know, medium job. Mm-hmm. So we spent months uh, visiting makers all over the place, mm-hmm. some right up in the mountains in Italy. Remember, I... I Drove for miles once through the mountains up to a ski resort mm-hmm. in the snow up there in Italy, and I visited, visited this guy in a wooden cabin, and he Oof. was making stainless frames. Nice. Uh, I didn't end up using him, but it was. But you know, this is looking back. This is seems crazy, but this is what I did. Craziness. Um, yeah, we we set, settled on at that time two, two, two or was it three? Two or three makers who were like at the top of their game, mm-hmm. and I, I went. Then I went to Columbus and I went to Dojai, and I looked at their tubing and I was pulling tubes out they hadn't used for years. Crazy, because and turning them around and thinking, okay, if I turn these seat stays round, then they would give me enough tire clearance and work for a mudguard. And they were dusty tubes that they hadn't used because they were old fashioned. Mm-hmm. Things like that. It was, it was mad. So I finally, I got my tube sets. I took them to the makers. And that's when we started making the first frames. 
but it was hard because I was saying, I want you to look at this carbon frame. It's got internal routing. Uh, it's got a taper head tube. It's got oversized down tube. I'm, I want to use my fork. Um, it has to go fit for a mudguard and big tire. You know, there aren't any disc brake mounts. There were, no, there were no, it wasn't flat mount, but it was post mount. Yes. Or I took a, I took a post mount disc mount, which was supposed to go on the seat stay. And I said, I want you to machine this and I want, I want to put it on the chain stay because I want post mount on the chain stay. Mm-hmm. And you could see them thinking, oh, no, oh my, you know, who is this guy? What, what, what is he talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was something new. So, especially for easy. metal things. Yeah. Yeah. It was not easy. Yeah. We had to develop the internal routing parts ourselves. Yeah. Uh, they weren't available. We had to develop the disc brand ourselves. It wasn't available. The fork wasn't available. The wheels weren't available. There was one Shimano disc wheel for road. One. That's true. That's something that also Josh tells me all the time. <laughs> it's incredible, this thing, yeah. Yeah, it seems mad. And so I said to Tom at Hunt, I'm doing this thing. Can you do a disc brake wheel for like a bigger tire? Um, and that is going to be, it's got to have things like J-Bend spokes because I want people to be able to find their spokes properly. The hub's got to be high quality. It's got to be able to go a long way in comfort. And, and he was like, okay, okay. And so we made the Mason Hunt wheel Yeah. for those bikes. There was no wheel. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. So that's, what, that's where we started from. And using those Italian makers, they thought I was, because I think they get people, well, they used to get people coming along saying, I want to start a bike company a lot. Yeah, and then they would make things for them, and it would never happen, or it would never start. And so they were used to just saying, "Here's your tubes. I'll make you a frame. See if you can make a bike company." And, not, and it was too hard. And so I was saying, "I want to use my tubes. I want to do this my way." And it was like, <laughs> so the first frames were kind of their way, and I had to go back and say, "No, I want to do my way." And it was hard. It was, you know, it was much harder than I thought because. I was used to the Taiwanese bike companies saying, okay, 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 okay. Bring it on, bring it on. We'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Italians weren't used to that. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah, we yeah. had to learn to work together. Uh, and it was a hard push. And it could have failed. It could have, it could have failed. Um, but we got there. And uh, now we work with four or five bike makers and oh nice you know and my thing of feeling divorced from the whole Taiwanese thing uh and wanting to know the guy and hold the tubes with him and put a wheel in and like make a mark and like go to the welder spot weld them together try check you know and know these people and be their friend and um know the painter know the welder know the guy that bends the tubes uh, know the guy, guy that owns the tubing company. Uh, that was just a sort of, I guess it was a sort of need that I had because I was feeling like, uh, how can I do this thing if it, I'm just feeling empty about it sort of thing. Yeah, you know? I mean. Well, it's good, but I have to feel, I don't know. 
something more than that. And now I do. I know those guys. They're my friends. Nice. We have a hug. I know their family. You know, um, people like uh, uh, Stefano at um, Data Chai, who owns Data and Data Chai. Mm-hmm. He's helped me so much. You know, he, he saw something and he helped me from the start. You know, making tubes for this guy who had tiny, tiny bike company wanted to start. But he he said, okay, well, let's make you some tubes to your design. He didn't have to do that. So, you know, things like that, so so important. And those Italian makers, I mean, it's not without its problems, uh, but they make some wonderful things. And, you know, to know them and to, when I go out there to be able to work with them and, you know, um, spark new ideas and um, they say, well, why did you not think about doing it like this? Um, or if we just change this, it could be better. Or, um, you know, or, we, or we, we were thinking about, we had this idea and we thought it would work lovely for your frames. You know, that's that's so nice. And it, it really, really help, helps me. Um, and some of them have been making metal bike frames for 65 years. Yeah. What, what you know, what have I... You know, they, they just they have so much knowledge compared to me. And if we put our knowledge together, we've got like 95 years of combined knowledge or something. Yeah. Uh, so how cool is that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They know how to make metal bike frames. And if and I'm pushing the kind of progression of it, which they like. Um, and it is a nice combination. It's an almost untangible combination, if you know what I mean. Like the very traditional, hugely experienced guys that are making these frames, very traditional materials, really, you know, aluminium, titanium, steel. Absolutely. Um, but using them in a very modern and progressive way has got a sort of magic to it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, and, and it's all... Yeah, sorry if I interrupt you, but yeah, it's exactly this progression. I mean, at the end of the day, you wanted something to progress together with, not somebody to tell what to do. I mean, probably this was the difference, right? I mean, you go with Italian manufacturer, you go with your partners in Italy, you go even with the partners that are not making the frames, but are making the tubes, expressing your idea, and they kind of absorb your idea and then working together to, with you and not only for you in order to make the best solution out of it or the best progression out of your yeah. idea, right? Yeah. And the really important thing is that because it's not a production line and because you know the people and because they care about they end up caring about you and you end up caring about them um they are constantly learning and thinking when they're making the th- making the things right it's not like oh these guys are doing aluminium this week next week they're doing steel they no. don't know who they're doing it for they're no. making 500 a time or something they make them one by one some some of those makers are making i mean batches of three oof you know, we also work with the guys in Scotland at Five Land. They're making our mountain bike frames, steel mountain bike frames, in batches of three sometimes. Oh, crazy. So they're constantly learning. They are applying that things they've learned to the next batch. Um, and they're constantly feeding back and saying, we were thinking of doing this, or we thought if we just did this little thing, it would improve. And so that's really important part of the process because 
if the people are anonymous to you and they care about you, then your thing is they're trying to improve your thing. Absolutely. You know, for you. Yeah. Uh, which is really great because I can't think of everything. Um, and it's so nice to get the feedback from the makers, feedback from the riders, feedback from the customers. Um, it all goes into that that final mix and it helps us improve things and it helps us make new things. Um, and so it's all super important. And they, they're doing beautiful things. You, know, you look at those, the worlds on, I don't know, any of them, but the exposure um, and the SLR and, the, you know, all the frames really, they just, I, I think I know Wales by now and I, and I can see something. It almost has a signature. Okay. You can kind of say, oh, that one came from there. That one came from there. It sounds oh. a bit silly, but the welds have a signature and those welds that they're doing are just like, pfft. I, I honestly think they're the best. They are amongst the best in the world. You know, those, those guys. I'm sorry. They're... They've been doing it for 65 years. No, of course. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's in, they're insanely good. And it makes you like, wow, you can just look at that weld. I'll send you a picture. Absolutely do it. And yeah. it's insane. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Could not, I can't imagine it being better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, so, yeah. Me, let me go actually into bikes quickly. And I want yeah. to ask you three questions about bikes. I will start uh, from the beginning, from the first one that I have in mind. And I will start actually by saying something different at the beginning. So you have... A small, I would say, I mean, it's not super small. You have how many uh, bicycles in your portfolio? Eight, ten, stuff like this? Um, we have nine. Nine. We have nine. Uh, and we are going to be up to ten uh, this year, in our tenth year, which is nice. So that was always silly, kind of not really important, but I always thought, oh, ten. That'd be nice. Like a range of ten bicycles will cover just about everything that I want to do and that people need. Yeah. It seems like we can do it with about 10. Yeah. And so some of them are onto their second or third redesign and update. And some of them are very new. And then there's one more, which is coming along, which is going to be very new this year. Okay. When? Um, we have the first sample now first production sample we've had various samples where we where we get samples made just to test the tubing uh, and just how we fit it together you know develop the dropouts develop gussets and tube shapes and head tubes and see that it works and so they're not necessarily even the right geometry okay so we've just had the first one that is the right tubing the right geometry um right dropouts just about everything's finalized maybe some tweaks with routing and that kind of thing and once we've ridden it a lot geometry might change but pretty much finalized we just had that now just built that into a bike now a rolling sample very, very, i would yeah. say yeah a fully built bike that, that's rideable and is correct and will feel right you know um so everything is ready to go on that one so the next phase is a little bit uncertain because say we don't like the way it rides or saying we put it through all the testing and we need to redesign gussets or tubes or stuff, then it can, you know, it can put you back two or three months. But 24, so. 24 is going to be the year. 24 is going to be the year. Yeah, for sure. That's perfect. Yeah. Uh, also, I mean, something to have in mind. So nine, 
almost 10 different frames in the portfolio, different bikes in the portfolio. And actually, you have different iterations. So you don't change so much anyways from one iteration to the other. You're not going to make completely different things or whatever. You're just adjusting the best thing. And yeah. here where I want to go is, and this is the case of the definition, right? You arrive at version number three, going live yeah. as we talk on Tuesday, 16th of January, 2024. Tell yeah. me more about that. So that's going live, went live probably at 11 o'clock, okay. 25 minutes ago. Okay. Um, the thing with the definition is, when I designed the definition resolution, I had uh, 15, maybe? When did I start? 20? Yeah. Almost 15 years of bicycle design experience with designing that sort of bike, which is why I started with that, sort, that bike. Um, I had in my mind how I wanted the geometry, clearance, how I wanted it to ride, how it was going to work, what it was going to be for. So when I designed that definition, it was pretty much I knew what I wanted to do. And quite often I think I know what I want to do. This is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. Mm -hmm. I'm clear on how it's going to be. And I work towards that kind of, I get dragged towards that vision of the thing uh, and what I wanted to do, how I wanted to work. So that was how the definition and resolution were. And so every time we go back, and think, okay, the definition was one we started with. How shall we now progress the definition to keep it current? One, it was pretty much ahead of everything when it came out, right? So we didn't have to update it, <laughs> and people caught up. But we we made the we started with one fork with post mount and QR because they weren't through axle when they when we started really. Yeah. Then we made another fork with flat mount and through axle. Of and we, at that point, the front was through axle, the back was QR. Mm, okay, interesting. And that was actually, sounds silly, but it was, other people were doing that. Okay. Because things were progressing fairly quick and it was hard to keep up. Yeah. So, but we knew the fork had to be, you know, you have to, fork has to be very future proof. Um, so it, so it was kind of a version one, a version 1.5, a version two. And then it became through axle all the way through. Um, and then I think we went to another version of the fork, more clearance, not a better shape, more refinement to the layup. Um, uh, dynamo light mount on the front, things like that. So you can see that we're kind of watching and making the, let's say, optimizing the bike for the way that people want to ride or the merging styles. The people want to ride all night and all day, they need dynamo lights. Let's mm -hmm. make sure that this bike has proper mounting for dynamo lights. Yeah. It's good to put the, not wrap the cable around and around around the fork leg. Let's stick it through the fork. Let's make a proper dynamo light mount on the front. Let's make sure it's flat mount and through axle so it's going to work with all the modern components. Yeah. Um, so that so it progresses and then we keep on looking at the okay could we make the geometry better should it be more racy should it be less racy should it be slacker should it be a longer head tube should it have more clearance so we keep we just keep the ride driven design thing is like the pillar mm -hmm. of what we, we look back at we look back at is 
it's not for fashion. It's not for aesthetics. It's not for the latest fad. It's not for, you know, oh, everyone's putting the seat stays halfway down the seat tube for no apparent reason apart from like fashion. Yeah. Are we doing it? No, we're not doing it. Okay. There's no, there's no advantage. There's no rider advantage. There's no advantage to the properties of the machine. Mm-hmm. So with the definition, we have, we're now, we're, is the, you know, we're calling it the version three. So um, really it's just a progression and a kind of evolution of that first thing. Now, we've done sensible modifications and updates as we've gone through. We've looked at the geometry. The geometry was right in the first place. Crazy. So we're not, we're not, we're not, we can't, I can't think, I'm not going to make the head tubes longer. I'm not going to make it more racy. I'm not going to like tuck the back end in really short or drop the seat stays for no reason or whatever. It has to be, there has to be a reason for doing it. So that, Geometry works. We've we've refined all the little bits, and now it has dedicated dynamo routing through the top tube. We've cleaned up the cable and the hose routing um, to keep it all out of the way. Um, that's allowed us to put the dynamo routing through the top top tube. By the way, we've refined the dropouts, and we machine them in a different way, and they're re- super different accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've introduced new paint finishes and colors and of course and modernize the graphics. And, um, so it's just, we're not going to change it unless it's something just for fashion or marketing. We don't have model years because one, it's too difficult for us. We're small, but two, there has to be a reason for it. And I don't believe in, I've never believed in model years because it's kind of not fair to people <laughs> because the whole of, because it's marketing, right? And marketing is all about making, basically, on a basic level, about making people feel inadequate, either about themselves or about their possessions. And yeah. I, I passionately don't, I kind of hate it. And I passionately don't want to do that. So we're just like, okay, we've done this thing. It makes it better for you and for your riding life. Um, we thought about it quite hard. They're, they're nice little evolutions and refinements, and we think you're going to like it. And here it is. And you know, we hope you buy it and like it. So it's not about like, oh, last year we uh, our aerodynamics weren't as good as this year, and and uh, we've made it three percent stiffer and five percent more aerodynamic. Because it's just like, no, we haven't. And Let's think back 10 years. If you've made it 3%, 5% stiffer and 3% more aerodynamic for the last 10 or 15 years, how is it even possible? No, yeah, I know what to win. Absolutely. So, you know, because you were telling us 10 years ago it was super aerodynamic and stiff and whatever. Anyway. So it's just not, I kind of hate it. So um, our thing is all about, is it better for the rider? Um, does it make the riding experience better? Is it real? Um, it's not about that kind of model year fashion thing. Yeah, perfect. It has, to, it has to be like that. We have to, like, like I was saying earlier, it's so hard to do this thing that if you don't really believe in it, 
I would find it too difficult. I could not do it. I wouldn't be able to be pushing a thing that I that was like, eh, you know, we're kind of saying it's mm-hmm. better if it isn't, or we have to believe in it because if we don't believe in it. It's, pff, on a basic level, it's just too hard. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Another question about bike, actually. We just burned two of those questions. The first one was about the next one. and We talked about that. The second one was about the brand new Definition version 3. I fell in love with your, I think, personal exposure. Oh, yeah. The yellow one for the Craft Days DT Swiss. Can you tell me more about that? I mean, I love that bike. It's exactly the bike, I mean... I can understand that you want to be a bit more, let's say, flexible on what you do. Big time. I mean, I can see also the heritage that you have from BMX mountain bike. They're having fun on the bike. Tell me everything. And first of all, tell me everything about the color. It's so beautiful. Uh, well, the color. Um, a, a thing for me is I, I've kind of like, um, I, I always watch quite a lot of different um places i don't necessarily look at i don't necessarily look at cycling the cycling world and i never have for styling and influence and um you know colors and graphics and things like that um i get influences from skateboarding bmx snowboarding even like the fashion world um interiors possibly cars um but they would probably be old cars so that's my influences and my interests Mm -hmm. so um actually the color of the exposure we also use it for the raw mountain bike it's a 1972 unimog okay okay so i don't know if you can picture the 1972 unimog you know what a unimog is absolutely not I was actually okay. going there to to make some research. You need to Google a 1972 Unimog. Actually, Josh's dad, funnily enough, Josh's dad is a Unimog dealer. Okay. Right? So, so uh, they are like an agricultural machine, but like a truck, four-wheel drive, huge four-wheel drive truck. Okay. And uh, they're, they're really cool, especially the old 70s ones. That color, which I think is called... Uh, curry, curry gelb or something, German Mercedes color. Okay, uh, it's, I love that color. Always loved it. And also the green color, which we use, the soft green color. Yeah, that's also Mercedes Unimog color. Okay, okay. <laughs> and a lot of the other colors we, that I like are old, like Fiat colors, like uh, the kind of blue, and, right? That you have the kind of uh, light blue that you have also yeah, now in the new definition. Blue, new blue. Um, is a Volvo. It's a Volvo. Volvo. Okay. Old Volvo color. Also from, it's a Volvo industrial color from the 70s. Okay. So, uh, and I use old Fiat colors as well. So the, the color palette that I use is uh, actually from vehicles, old vehicles. Okay. Sometimes. Sometimes very modern. But so, I, you know, they're kind of, um, we call it sepia. Um, that's a, quite a new color for us. It's like a, I don't know how to describe it, off-white, but quite a dark, almost olivey gray color. Uh-huh. I know what you mean. Yes, yes, yes. I know what you mean. Yes. We call it sepia because um, it's a photography term. Yeah. 
But that is also, um, that's, that's a Porsche color, or not a Porsche color, but it's some, I saw the, some new Porsches coming okay. through, and I thought that's a lovely, that's a beautiful color. They call it crayon white or something. Okay. And um, that's where I got influence for that from. But graphics, um, styling quite often comes from all different areas that we described. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the exposure is that lovely yellow color. Yeah. It looks really nice on slim steel tubes. Um, it, it's really almost, it's fairly bright, but kind of more of a mustardy yellow. Yes. And it's not out, it looks great outdoors and it's kind of works well in nature. So it was just all of those, it, it has to really work in all those ways. Mm-hmm. Some colors, you think, oh, that looks lovely on a steel tube. But I don't like it on an aluminium frame. Okay, sounds silly, but yeah, yeah. that's where that that's where that one came from. Yeah. yeah so yeah. the exposure is fairly new in our lineup, um, and it was taking everything I'd learned from the Boca, which is our gravel bike, aluminium though. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and also that we'd learned from steel and the mountain bike and um, the way people were riding. Um, and I wanted to make it more, t- more, you could load it more. We had, we developed the new fork for it, um, had more attachment points. Um, it was just more towards the bike packing adventure rather than the gravel race. Uh, whereas the Boca is somewhere in between. It's more, it's more fast gravel. You call it fast gravel. Exactly. That's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. So the exposure is more towards longer journeys away, more loading, um, bigger clearances, bigger wheels and tires, uh, more loading capacity, but still very fast and engaging. Mm-hmm. And so I'd seen these bikes going out to customers, yeah. and their frames are absolutely things of beauty. And um, we did... The first ones we did, the first 10 were, were um, launch edition. They had a lovely, um, like a stainless steel crown that the maker put the crown icon, the mason icon on the seat tube. He made it from stainless. Okay. And he raised it on and polished it, and it's beautiful. And I thought, oh, I really wanted one of those. But then they, I couldn't get one. The customer, they were bought by customers, and I never had. I wanted number one. Uh huh. <laughs> we, we sold it to a customer. Okay. And I was like, oh, man. I've still got a really old one of the first titanium bokers. Okay. It's my bike, a development model. Yes. So I thought I really want an exposure. Yeah. And the DT Swiss Craft Bike Days show came along and we th- we thought, okay, we can build a bike for that. We have to build something really nice. It's making exposure and I'm going to make it for me and how I would want it built. So we built it with large volume 650B, carbon dynamo DT Swiss wheels, uh, the little... Um, a line rack on the front, uh, dynamo lighting, uh, that nice yellow color, the bars that I really like, the Richie bars. Yeah. All, all the way that I thought I'd, you know, I really like going fast on single track and hurling it down hills and, you know, all that kind of riding. So I built it with just for a change with me in mind instead of always, always for something else to someone else <laughs> yeah are you riding it enough by the way that's what i like i'm i'm not allowed to ride it properly because we're going to the show in dusseldorf and i'm have to keep it pristine after that 
you're gonna no. smash it. Maybe you can no. go already, right? Uh, I, it's called Cycling World or whatever, right? The event yeah. in Dusseldorf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can ride it there. I mean, there are some nice uh, yes. gravel tracks there, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and we all know that that shows dirty bikes are better than clean bikes. Exactly. Yeah, we might take a, a bike that Josh has ridden there and just leave it dirty. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's that's where that came from. That's kind of my dream bike, uh, and I never get. I never get my dream bike. I always get all the cast-offs and samples. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally, this one is a final model built yeah. like you wish it was. So yeah, 2024 is my year for riding that bike. That's super awesome. That's super awesome. Uh, I would say that actually we said, yeah, I mean, quite everything. Do you want to add anything, Dom, in uh, well, fading out the episode? Yeah, I feel like we could have, I, I always speak too much. And you're really, it's really lovely to speak to you because you have this great understanding and of everything and, you know, what the important things are. We, we didn't even talk about, we didn't even talk about the start of gravel bikes and how we, how we started on the, you know, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah. That was so important, you know, like Josh was in the middle of a, the Pyrenees somewhere. Yeah, go and, ahead. Uh, riding, he was riding a road bike and he said, couldn't we just do something with bigger tires? And this was the start of that. We were, we, that was the start of that Boca gravel bike where no one was open, the open up. True, and true, 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 true. Yeah. I went to Eurobike and there was a, that was the only gravel bike at Eurobike, basically. Yeah. And then we, but we also had our Boca that same year. And that was there's probably no time for it now, but that was, that's the whole start of that story of doing one by and bigger tires and going more off road and, you know, getting into that, the world, the world of gravel, which wasn't, wasn't even really, you know, called that in those days. But, um, yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other story, which, which I, I actually, don't have time for, but, yeah. uh, yeah. I would actually propose you something. Maybe another thing that we can do next time that I'm coming over to UK, I can come to the barn and yeah. we can sit down and then it's going to be an episode just dedicated to gravel and mason or mason and gravel. We can even ride yeah. bikes there at that moment. Yeah, yeah, because that's a whole other journey which we've taken with our riders and which, you know, we when we started, we were the only ones. Now the whole cycling world is our competition, but we still managed to keep out at the forefront of that world. So, I'm, I'm, you know, I am proud of that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we should do that. We should do that. I'm gonna, I, also, because, I mean, let's talk quickly about that. I mean, the barn, so actually the headquarter, the Mason yeah. headquarter, is open for everybody, right? And uh, yeah. people can come over. They have, You have test bikes there. You can even, even just, for example, have a talk with you and, uh, for example, modeling the bicycle as you want it and everything like that, right? So... Yeah, so so um, we started from our front room, as we were saying, and then we didn't have anywhere. Then we lost our premises. We needed to expand. We couldn't find anywhere. Um, and we were looking, and Julie actually came across this old barn. It was a flint, but it's a 350-year-old flint barn. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, can we, can we really work from somewhere like that? But... Um, do you know, amazingly enough, I'm not going to go on too much longer, I promise, but one, when I was envisaging the brand, I had this vision yeah. of flint walls and, some, and riders coming to ride our bikes and t 
take them away for a ride and they were, come, they were coming to a flint wall and coming back to a flint wall and I had this thing in my mind. I had this picture of it in my mind. I don't know why. And then Julie found this barn and we went there and it was like, this was, this was, a, thing in my, this was a thing in my mind. It was a, a vision in my mind. And so it became true. And so now we work from this 350-year-old flint barn. We've got three buildings there now actually on the farm. Uh, and it's become really a uh, almost like part of Mason and um, uh-huh. a really important part of Mason. And uh, people quite often say, oh, I want to come to the barn. And the barn has become part of our story. Uh, and we love working from there. And it's surrounded by trails and countryside. And it's right on the South Downs Way, which is an important part of, um, of you know, the south of the UK. Mm-hmm. Um and our riders can pick up, our test riders can come and they can pick up a bike and they can go out for an hour along riverside trails and country lanes and they can test everything they need to test. Uh, and it's become the perfect place for us. It's very cold at this time of year, but um, it has become part of the brand and it's something absolutely unique in what we're doing and where we're working from. So, yeah, it, it's really important to us. And also we're part of the part of the um seasons of the farm and we even help herd sheep and we do we do things with the environment and work with the farmer towards the you know conservation around the farm so it's really important for us actually yeah yeah yeah. i mean it's really you're really part of the community and the barn is part of the brand i mean the brand yeah yeah part of you really something like the concept itself i can't wait actually to come over and visit should be awesome my background of agriculture engineering and understanding working on farms and driving tractors, I understand it and I feel at home there, you know. Yeah. It makes me it helps me to continue because it's kind of a inspirational environment and watching the seasons go by and all that stuff. So it is really important. You're in touch with you're completely in touch with the environment that we work in. Okay. Riding. Oh yeah. that's nice. That's nice. Really can't wait. Well, Dom, thanks a lot for the chat. I mean, as I was saying, let's think about having another episode soon and we're going to only talk about gravel and then maybe we can go, we can even go a bit more <laughs> on the nerdy. Gravel. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about all the nerdy sides. I mean, we can yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, being nerd on the bicycle structure yeah. and uh, um, geometry and everything, but also on all the, I mean... Uh, all the colors and everything that we talked about. So really the farming cards and everything like that. Let's go yeah. into this direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be really cool. Yes. I, I'm sorry if I talk too much. No, never, never. I mean, it yeah. was awesome. I, I really love because actually this talk for me was super important in order to understand the foundation on Mason. Because everybody, I mean, let's go one second, a tiny bit into the business market thing. The point is that now... I have the feeling that, especially now with the problems of 2023 slash 2024, um, the bicycle industry is coming a bit down. But that's why you see a lot of sales around, discounts, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And the direction that people are taking look like, I hope so, they're a bit more into these brands that they can actually offer super nice bicycles with a sole funny yeah. that you can keep for longer so people if yeah. they really want to spend their money they want to spend money not only on a bicycle itself good looking of course that's super important or a piece mm. of technology but they want to add to that also a tiny bit of heritage story foundation values 
Yes. And that was actually the, the talk that I wanted to have with you. And here, I think that we highlighted really perfectly the values of yeah, yeah. your, I mean, your creation, your yeah, progressive also, values of it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, touching on that, it's, just, it's a scary world for a lot of people. And um, people feel out of control or that like the world's out of control right mm -hmm. so i personally i think there's a people find comfort in in buying something from possibly someone that they feel like they know they understand it didn't come from somewhere anonymous they they like the feeling that they they feel in touch with the brand and it's run by real people with you know, kind of a passion for stuff and they can talk to those people. Yeah. It's comforting apart from anything, yeah. you know, but also it's sustainable. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to run things in a sustainable way from the point of view, not only from the environment, but from also the point of view of, you know, keeping, keeping going and not overstepping the mark. And um, we, I always say we're, we're working to stay small, by which I mean we are not trying to expand too fast and get out of control, but also we're just trying to be more efficient with the people and the resources that we have. Um, and it's been like that from the start, that I've had a feeling that I want to work within Europe, not ship things in containers from across the world. Yeah. Um, you know, work with metal, uh, work with small makers where we can give something back and they can give something back. Work with the environment of the place we're even at, like the farm. So actually it's just from those close beliefs of mine that I feel like at this time in the industry, they are helping us survive because um, they are important. Other people think they're important and it's sustainable. And, um, you know, we're doing things in small batches and it, it's all really important for the world environment that we find ourselves in at, at the moment and it's helped it's definitely helped us survive and and given something for people to identify with as well you know and find our values and think they're my values too so looking back at it i think that the way in which i kind of envisaged i wanted to run things from the start but i wasn't really sure why now a lot of you know, they have become really important to us and to other people, and they've helped us survive in this in this climate. So, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. it's a really good point that you make there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. perfect. Thanks a lot, Dom. Uh, I would say then, let's talk soon. Yeah, thank <laughs> okay, you. Amazing. Thanks for to you. <laughs> ciao, ciao. Well, we planned it already, and it's going to be an episode number two. I mean, not episode number two of this season, but in general, the second part of this talk together with Dom quite quick. I want to talk gravel uh, with Dom and I want to talk also his experience with surfing trails and uh, anything close to that because the passion is already there and I hope you liked it. People, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the first episode of season number seven. I mean, can you imagine we're talking about seven season plus one season that was kind of the spin in more than spin off. Uh, of the uh, of the Broomwagon podcast and talking about the spin cake. So it has been eight different seasons, so basically eight years that this podcast is running. Next goal, year number nine, but one step 
after the other. Do you want to talk to me? Instagram is CC or the Broom Wagon Podcast. Hello at CC. another way to say it. And down below, you can find the coffee link. Another little mention that I like to do all the time and this time is for another charity that you can actually really focus if you want to drop some coins you know that last year i've done some projects together with bikeys bikeys so hi everybody to bikeys there you can still keep on supporting them but another uh, charity that i want you to keep an eye on is POW, Protect Our Winter. I'm supporting them through my alcohol-free beer project, Zier, zierbrewing.com. But actually, I think that everybody needs to keep an eye also just in their communication they are doing and everything that is being out there in order to really protect our winters. People, I will talk to you soon. When is going to be soon? I don't know. Let's say in two or three weeks or so. Bye, bye, bye.